Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we're throwing it straight over to our special guest, Murray Jackson. Oh, jeez, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting the person who hadn't seen the film first, Stephen. That's how it traditionally works. It is, but uh, this is not a traditional episode. Oh, this is it's all about me, Stephen. It is. Oh, uh, Murray, good. this is your 25th episode. Oh, my God, how did I hang around for this long? <laughs> I don't know. The pay is awful, people. It's, it's- awful. It, it really is. Uh, it's, it's almost negligible. It is, yes. I, uh, could, I but, could count it in sense. Uh, but yes, you've done 25 episodes, or this is your 25th. Three of them have been good, Stephen. Excellent. Well, that's a, that's a what, 12% success rate? Yeah, I'll that's take not that. bad. I'll take that. Yeah. Um, but because it is episode 25 for you, the rule on this program is uh, you get to pick what film we review this week. What have you chosen? <laughs> oh, Stephen, I have chosen the 1980 classic Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, okay, no, I haven't. I haven't. I, I wanted to, but uh, I, I deferred a little to something a little more mainstream. Well, not mainstream, but uh, um, gentler, gentler for our listeners. So we are in fact listening to or watching the. It's not a podcast. We are watching the 1973 classic, The Wicker Man. Indeed, not the Nicolas Cage film. Yes, very important clarification. This is the. Uh, this is the good one uh, of the of the Wicker <laughs> yes, Man films. Indeed it is. So, in a vague, non-spoilery mm. sort of way, uh, what's the Wicker Man about? Well, Stephen, that's a very good question, and something that uh, a number of film critics, uh, probably far more talented than myself, have debated over the years. Is it a mystery thriller? Is it a horror? Is it a folk horror? Is it a folk horror musical, Stephen? I don't know. I think you can make your own mind up from having watched the film mm-hmm. because this film is genre non-defining. Nice. Well, uh, if you don't know, our other guest certainly won't know because uh, she has not seen this film before. Please welcome our guest who has not seen this week's film. It is Christy Leach. Hello, everybody. How are you doing, Christy? I'm very well. Thank you very much, Dr. Platt. Oh, thank you. Uh, Christy, so, The Wicker Man, you you said before when we were setting up for this that you literally know nothing about this film. Yeah, I know. It's a genuine surprise. I do not know, I do not know anything. Okay. Yeah. Which is uh, hard to admit, but yes. <laughs> That's fair enough. Um, so, so, given, Murray's given a very uh, loose, non-spoiler sort of version of what this film might be about, and also the fact that it's defying genre. So, I, I'm, I'm curious what you're actually expecting if you had to try and like pin down knowing it's called the wicker man knowing it was made in the 70s and knowing that it plays around with the genre what what do you think is going to happen oh gosh i'm not sure i'm genuinely expecting some sort of like uh, remote town in uh, some strange village in england with Ooh, it's very good um some an attractive woman and maybe some other people and some scary but quiet town folk who Ooh. don't talk about anything and then there's a secret and maybe something else. And you said folk in there as well, so I'm guessing it's probably going to dig into some sort of um, mythology, maybe Celtic or... Are you sure you haven't seen yeah, this? Yeah, <laughs> this sounds like she's seen it, Stephen. Yeah. No, I haven't. You're pretty You're pretty close, to be honest. Yeah. This is, yeah. Yeah. You've got a remarkable... All she, I know is she, she is a massive Doctor Who fan, so yeah. let's pull in here as um, a reference, the demons. Yeah, okay, yeah. So we're mm. going to have like a crazy white witch uh, running around. Well, and... well. No, okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was thinking BBC more in terms of the tone. Like but opening yeah. a, um, mm. 
um, a burial mound. I'm not sure, actually. Mm. Gosh, that could take us in many different directions. Yes. Well, you are correct that Christopher Lee is in this film. Um, I love Christopher he's, Lee. He's very much in this film, as is uh, Edward Woodward. Yeah, he's got one Ooh. of the best names to say. And let's Edward not forget um, the the queen of uh, Hammer Horror, uh, loosely, I suppose. Uh, it's arguable who is, but uh, Ingrid Pitt. Oh, yes, yes, Ingrid yeah, Pitt. So you've, 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 I suppose you could say you've either got the king or the prince of, of Hammer and the, the queen of Hammer uh, in this film, and it's not a Hammer film. That's incredible, because uh, I did um, confess that I was quite attached to um, a lot of the Hammer Horror when I was a teenager, so... This is going to be fun. This it is, is going to be fun. So, with all that being said, uh, shall we watch The Wicker Man? Oh, let's. Let's give it a go. Okay, for those of you listening at home, pop in those DVDs, load up those streaming services, and prepare to scream, No! Not the bees! Oh. Ah! Oh, wait, that's the other one, isn't uh, it? Hey, nonny, nonny. <laughs> prepare to say, Hey, nonny, nonny, as we watch The Wicker Man from 1973. Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching 1973's The Wicker Man, chosen by Murray, watched by Christy Leach and myself. <laughs> uh, they are my guests today. Christy, that was your first time watching The Wicker Man. What did you think? Um, it's incredible. Um, I had guessed a vague bit of the... Um, honestly, all I'd really guessed is the location sort of and a few elements of the plot, but I I really wasn't expecting anything that I just saw. <laughs> um, it helped me with a little bit of understanding and cultural context, uh, mm. but no, no, I was I was genuinely surprised mm. at a lot of it. I was not expecting it. Um, Did you view it through the eyes of? Uh, the fact, you know, it was it was made in the nineteen seventies, so oh yes, yeah, okay, yes. Right. Yes, that dedication to the free love movement is strong. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it, I think there's a lot of hippie tendencies in the, there. Yes, yeah. yes, you can feel the Quaker. Um, but, <clears throat> and I think that while I do say that, probably did inform and influence the how this script developed. It has a very different sort of outcome with heading towards the uh, the mythology. And the, the the rituals, I can't actually say that. Mm. Human sacrifice to yeah. restore the harvest. Um, mm. Yeah, no, it was good. Sorry, yeah, mm. I it was good. It captivated me. It kept me. And I think most of the time you watch it and you're thinking, what is actually going on? Mm. And then at the end, hmm. it's it it is incredible to, to use the word that that you used at the beginning. It is. Yeah, it, it is incredible. I, I've not watched this since I was a teenager, um, and I don't think I appreciated it as a teenager because I was kind of blown away again watching this film. To be honest, it's it's really stunning. Um, just the just the atmosphere that is created. Can, can I ask a question out of left field here? Yes. Um, do do either of you think that this film? could be filmed today and you would buy 
the premise and and the way it unfolded. Is this is this a film of its time? Yes, yes, it is definitely a film of its time. You literally have the conflict between Christianity and the new religion or the new thoughts, the free love movement. It's it's so. So religion isn't so much a um, a consideration these days. Because it's very much consideration in this Look, film. Yeah, I think at this time it would have. My gosh, can you imagine the protesters outside this film when it when it went off? Yeah, it's it, it's really interesting because it's. Um, I, I think first first of all, it's beautifully shot. Yes. Um, secondly, the the cast are all really good. There's nobody where I'm like, what's this person doing here? It's a great cast. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I think you could get a fantastic film crew and a fantastic cast today and make a really good film, but it wouldn't be what this film is because mm. I feel as though what this version of The Wicker Man is, it it really it, it captures a lot of the sort of older uh, mythological uh, bent that you were talking about, Christy, but I think it also, it, it comes from a culture it's it's an it's an english film it was shot pr- yeah. primarily in scotland but it's a it's a british film and britain in 1973 definitely more christian is ve- definitely more christian very, it's a lot more conservative yeah very yeah. conservative and so i and i think that's represented by the character that um ed woodward plays um you know this this police sergeant um neil, neil howie. howie neil howie i think by a sort of 2020 viewing seems very almost almost like um he's very prudish he's, he's a zealot yeah. he, he is yeah, a zealot he, yeah he's, you he's, don't he's, get that anymore people don't yeah. aspire to be that yeah as much I, 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 anymore yeah it, or it's not it's not presented in in our sort of uh, media spaces as being like the good christian in this case copper or mm. you know like this kind of mm-hmm. thing and like he is 100 percent behind his idolatry and not only is he behind it he really doesn't like other people's idolatry, uh, like uh, their ideas, their religions. Um, he he is disgusted by the paganistic um, aspects of the people on the island, that, particularly the bits that that clash with his very conservative upbringing. And I think, like that, is beautifully depicted within the first like two minutes of mm. the film. Um, I. You start in church, Sunday Mass, you've got him. He's reading the reading, which means he is like mm. one of the prominent people in the church. The deacon or whatever. The deacon, yeah. yeah. Beautiful shot, beautiful church. Yeah. Um, you've got his doting fiance, um, But intercut with his reading and this really... he He's reading about the covenant of communion and it's cutting to those soft filter, highly diffuse beautiful like dream shots of him partaking in the act of communion mm. and in just those few moments it completely sets his character up. it's before even the title sequence mm. like you are established there that he's character. a righteous man yeah. yeah he's a righteous man and it's the yeah. only thing we know about him yeah because it's really the thing that's important about him is that mm-hmm. he is a, a devout christian who is coming to this place where there aren't any devout christians uh, and that they have a different belief system that clashes with his. But he keeps the truth of that throughout this film. Mm-hmm. He is a, a man of conviction and of his beliefs mm-hmm. throughout this film. Yes, at one point he is tempted. And, you know, I don't know. If it, it, there's got to be allegory there to, you know, Jesus in the wilderness tempted by the devil, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but he he he, he gets through that. I was going to say he pulls through that. Um, <laughs> wrong, wrong. Sorry, not. guys. Um, <laughs> oh, he gets through that, mm. and he 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 gets out the other end. And throughout this film, he is very much with zeal and almost fanaticism in terms of the job that he has to do and his own personal beliefs. Mm. And he is our guide to this entire film. This entire experience is through the lens of, like, through his eyes Mm. and his righteous horror at what he's seeing when he walks into a classroom and the teacher proudly announces to all these underage children, oh, the maypole, that's a phallic symbol. Mm. And you see his horror and he, he... pulls the teacher out of the room, you know, you can't tell him these lewd, horrible things. Um, and we're on his side. We're mm. the ones entering this scene, entering this town. We've flown there in a plane, and it just seems so completely alien. Mm. And that, that, that's, that is such a good point, because you get to the end of this film, and you have joined him. You are the fool. Yeah. Because you did not see this coming. 100%. And, 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 and that is why the end is so shocking. shocking. Yeah. This film is called a horror film, but the horror doesn't really envelop until the last five minutes. It's a mystery thriller until yep. then, with a musical bent as well yeah. thrown in. Until that last five minutes, and you join him as the fool. Yes, exactly. And I, I was going to say that as well. Like, it's very, very much depicted as us against them. And mm. they're all standing there. And you can you look out of the, the wicker cage and you see them dancing. And you're in there with him, listening to him pray and call out to the Lord. Um, and, and you do realize suddenly, like, as the titles roll, you're just like, oh, I am the fool as well. Because we believed everything that happened. We were like, oh, yes, yes, the righteous cop is going to come and he's going to rescue the girl and he's going to stop the pagan sacrifice. Mm. And then you realize that, oh, no, you have also just been burned. You were led along. Yeah. 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 It's it's pretty remarkable. Um, and, and also, not terribly long. This this film is under 90 minutes. Mm. It, it, it feels longer in the best possible way. It like does it, feel longer. I think the music scenes make it feel longer, but that's we we were watching a long cut, weren't we? Well, yes, we are watching the we're final watching cut. The final cut yes, there's a, there's a couple of extra bits and pieces thrown in there um, for for our uh, enjoyment. Um, but yes, how he turns up on the island. He, um, I, I should say, I I grew up on an island, not the same as right, this. Everyone, I'm just going to throw it out right back there. Away. There was no. There weren't shenanigans outside the pub on a Saturday night. Uh, well, I didn't see them because no. I was a child. So uh, I, I, you weren't learning about no, the no. maple. No, I was. I wasn't in the in the pub singing the uh, oh, John's just lost his virginity song. Ah, da, 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 da. Like that yep. didn't happen. The landlord's daughter. But um, but the because I I lived on the Isle of Man, which is uh, like a bigger version of this island. Um, and w- like we have some of those um traditions like the, the, it, towards the end where you have the boys forming with the six swords the mm-hmm. um the, sh- the shape the mayday the, the mayday yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we have a lot of those or we have we i mean I've, I've not been there for 20 years but like those those ceremonies are conducted year in year out yeah. now they're not because we're going to sacrifice somebody so that the kippers will come into the the fishnets or the herring as it would be in um in the isle of man but um it's but, but a lot of those sort of like traditions and that that almost that sort of cyclical with the seasons lifestyle um very it was very reminiscent that and the the garish sweet shop filled well, with horrible I have vague memories of, of maypoles in, yeah. even in new zealand growing up mm. in new zealand um I, I i can't recall exactly why um 
and I don't think there was any specific reference to pagan festivals, mm. but that sort of stuff hung around. Well, that's because and it's part of our cultural context. Well, yeah. not ours, or definitely no. not mine, but obviously, Stephen, you, you grew up over there, and I'm just thinking this film being watched there in the UK mm. at, during this time, that would have been one, that would have been bigger shock mm. because they would have been used to seeing these elements in their everyday life. They would have been used to seeing the green man on the, you know, mm. in the gardens and, and knowing these things. Um, but also mm. having that contrast within themselves with the Christianity and then having that sort of internal fight. Yeah. Um, so they would have recognized those elements, like both sides of the viewer. So, It would have been a very different experience. There there was still a lot of um, embracing of of paganistic ideas in 1970s Britain. So Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. Um, There was a a TV series called Survivors, for those of you uh, who can't recall what the heck that was about. Basically, the world's population is decimated by something akin to like covid overnight uh, until there's only you know a, a few thousand people left in Britain uh, and I remember there was specifically an episode called Corn Dolly which was all about this guy who was enthused to get back to mother nature and earth and and paganistic sort of um, thinking and, and and living so those sort of ideas were, were still around in, in that time I think they've kind of died out a little bit in the, in the ensuing decades but yeah they were still resonant and i think we see um here in australia i think the remnants of this that we get are during our renaissance festivals um and the fairs because i I can literally think the last time i was at bailing up or boddington bailing up i like i not only did i buy a green man for my garden um because that was necessary but like you do dance around the burning dragon you know, you, mm. you dance around, you see the maypole. It, it's yeah. there, the bits that have brought and here from... What, from what I think is really interesting to, to build on that is... So this is essentially, like, one of the most successful or notoriously uh, well-known, at least, uh, films that is that has folklore at a big central point of it. But not necessarily folklore in the fantastical uh, fairies and gingerbread yeah. houses sense. Like, yeah. folklore in that sort of lived folklore experience that was present in mm-hmm. well europe uh but but you know we all cultures have their own folklore but um but but this film as the exponent of it it's it's interesting that it mixes in these things which are quite realistic and true you know like um you'll still see um um the um the sword dance as part of like Christmas pageant dances and things like that in places around in Britain, but you won't see, or at least you won't see as often, um, nude pregnant women jumping over a fire. And that's a shame, Stephen. It is a shame to an extent. But I mean, I thought that was slightly unsafe. Uh, well, but as he as, as he, he says, pointed out, yeah. as Lord Summerall said, well, they can't very well do it with their clothes on. That's dangerous. <laughs> um, but but oh. I think it's really interesting that this film then leaned oh, into gosh. those aspects of paganism, which are um, uh, paganism and folklore, which are the the sort of ooh the the like the the dark titillating stuff that is kind of not really. A part of it, but yeah, and the there, there, there are films in. that do this very badly. Yeah, um, you know that that just take that as a theme and 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 do it very poorly. Mm. This film, I think, I don't think it pokes fun at it. it, it, it mm. If anything, 
it's poking fun at the idea that Christianity is in some way um, superior mm-hmm. in its hierarchy in, in, in a system of beliefs. Mm. And, and I, I, personally, I love that. I love the idea. I, I'm not a spiritual person, but I love the idea that, you know, we should laugh at the idea that there is a hierarchy of, of, of spiritual beliefs. Mm. Um, and everyone and loves th- an underdog. Uh, yes, <laughs> and, and this 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 is a great example of folk horror, which is a really really um, specific genre, hmm. uh, which the English just do so well. They really do. They yeah. do. I mean, you had this. You had only a, a year or two before Blood on Satan's Claw, which, if any of you out there are fans of the League of Gentlemen, they just will not stop talking about their film. Hmm. Which find a general. And in more recent times, uh, films like A Field in England and one that I think shamelessly ripped off, although I still like the film, shamelessly ripped off The Wicker Man, and that is Midsummer. Oh, Midsummer, um, mm. The, uh, the um, Florence Pugh one? The yes. Pugh? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Uh, there are so many similarities and things that happen in Midsummer um, that happen in this film, mm. <laughs> right down to the fact that, you know, a innocent gets burned at the end. Um, you know, it, it, it's just too much to 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 ignore. Yeah. So this genre continues, and uh, you know, to this day. But um, it's just such a great niche that the English do so well. I I think it was because it was a twist. That's what the English do well in the writing is the twist, mm. and I think. You're right. Like the titillating nudity and sex that is dotted throughout this film. But there's not that much. Yeah, sure. And is it titillating? No, maybe. I think the only thing that could be considered titillating is the dance that is designed to be seductive. When she's seducing him. But the other ones where there's like, you know, a park full of people having sex was like, uh, that's just weird. That was very sad. Was that in the original cut? That's that scene? Um, I'm trying to remember. I don't think it was. Because it I think feels the the the, 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 the parts in the the particularly the scenes in the pub were heavily edited in the um, international release. Yeah. I'd have to go back and watch, but I'm pretty sure on that. So my feelings are that yes, the bit with the copulating outside might have been in there. A lot of the stuff in the pub with the locals wasn't. Yeah. What about the, uh, the 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 nude woman uh, with the grave at the stone? grave who was um, bereaved? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was in the original as well. Okay, yeah. and then other than that, you have um, uh, the the ladies doing the the fertility yeah, ritual, definitely in there, and then nice. and then the seductive dance. So really, there's yeah. there's, there's four, well, but, three main yeah. scenes of it, like, it, it's not it's not stuff that's in there for exploitative reasons. Everything mm. is in there from a narrative purpose. But it's okay. interesting because right. from the perspective of Neil Howey, mm-hmm. it would be titillating. Horribly it would, confronting it would have him. It would have yeah. been like, this is not like bordering on blasphemy. And ver- I think it's really interesting that the people who at the time this film would have been released, the you know, I dread to think what Mary Whitehouse would have thought of oh. this film, but the Mary Whitehouses of this world are Neil. Mm. They are they are Sergeant Howie, and they just can't comprehend that this what they would call vulgarity is anything but there for sexual gratification. True, and I don't think this film sets anything up for sexual gratification, with the exception of the seductive dance. 
Because it's a seductive dance. It's a seductive dance. Yeah. She is there to tempt him. Mm. Uh, which of, of then, I, which I, he comes through with shining through. colours, which yeah. means he is the perfect yeah. victim. And his reward for not <laughs> falling for that is to be burnt to death in a giant mm. wicker man. I do wonder... What would that was his out when you think about what it. What would the village have done had he succumbed to temptation? <laughs> well, if he, girl. no virgin. <laughs> yeah, they would have been like, oh, the plane's working now. Off you, Bob. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fascinating, though. Like, like the fact that he's tested this whole way. Mm. And on the one hand, it's very much the, the, the heartwarming, literally, story of a, of a Christian sticking to their beliefs and uh, even in the face of certain death. They, you know, he's still that that final scene. He is still full of conviction. Um, you know, he he the the, the moments of doubt are, are almost non-existent, except the screaming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, well, yeah. he's perfect. Yeah, That's, it's it's great. Yeah. But um, but on but on the other hand, you do sit there and go, God, but I do feel like an idiot because I I fell for it. Like like you know that that thing of being in the fool position. It's it's wonderfully balanced, and I've just realised we've not spoken about Christopher Lee in. In proper detail. I mean, I've been yet. thinking about him. Um, <laughs> he's um, he's incredible. He's so good in this. He's. <laughs> it was his favourite role. Protagonist. Mm. Yeah, just just from his first appearance in a kilt and polka dot socks with beautiful montage with mm. pumpkin leaves and snails, yes. which I'm pretty sure didn't make the international cap. Mm. That was a very interesting montage between the people in the pub looking up mm. at the the couple above while yeah. they're singing cutting to him with his monologue or voiceover mm. and then cutting to like extreme close-up of snails. Did you like it? That was one of the weirdest montages I've ever seen in my life. But but, but was it, I suppose, did you like it is kind of the wrong question. Is it, was it, did it work and did it benefit the film in your opinion? It did feel a bit disjointed. Okay. And that might have been why they, I think they cut that bit. It, it, yeah, I will admit I As wish I'd researched this. I'm sorry. No, no, it's totally fine. I'm coming into this blind. I'm <laughs> I'm mostly stuttering as I try and my thoughts collide in my head going, oh, I want to talk about this. Oh, I want to talk about that. Um, you're, yes, I admit it did feel disjointed and I will... Don't, don't hate on me yet. I, I felt like some of the music scenes were long, which is why I really wanted to have a conversation with you about mm. do we think these were included because they were... Um, such an important part of the folk rituals and the preserving well, the, well, some preserving of them were, the Some of them were actually cut. Um, so, for instance, um, as I say, a lot of the stuff in the pub where he first turns up um, to get accommodation and whatever, um, you know, seduced by uh, Bridget Eklund, um, a lot of that was cut. So the... I'm pretty sure that in the... Um, original cinema release that the musical scenes were a little bit more there was a bit more brevity to them but my memory is that such as the the scene where the the boys around the maypole the girls um, dancing um, the the pregnant girls dancing etc etc they were all fully contained musical bits so yeah yeah so I would normally accept that and say that is 100% 100% you know you are you're going to be acknowledging a culture and, and this mythology and you're going to pay tribute to the songs and and, and the law um, and the spoken language which is what's important about recording folk history and um, and paying tr- tribute to it 
However, um, because it was a construction, mm. the whole mythology, the whole religion of the island, we know is fake because it was constructed and put there by the Scottish lords. It's not as if this was a traditional practice that was just kept going in this town while the rest of the world just got on with its life. Because well, I think, it I think, I think it, the, the suggestion is that it was a simmering wrong. part of the underbelly of that that um, island with the, the local folk and the lord used that to his ability. Um, so I, I, I feel that that was all part of the undercurrent of daily life in that island. The, it's just that the, 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 the community leader played on that. Mm. So I've uh, just done a little bit of delving, um, uh, just looking. And We've got to talk more about that. Um, the the film soundtrack obviously forms a major component of the narrative um, and the songs accompany many of the important scenes um, when they were halfway through making this the director Robin Hardy surprised the cast uh, by telling them that they were making a musical so the director very much viewed this film as being a musical um, despite the fact that it was only halfway through the film that people in it knew that it was a musical um, the the soundtrack was composed, arranged and recorded by Paul Giovanni and performed by Magnet. Um, the soundtrack contained 13 folk songs, uh, which were performed by characters in the film, included our traditional songs, original compositions by Giovanni and the nursery rhyme, Bar Bar Black Sheep. Uh, Willow's song in particular um, has been covered or sampled mm. by various uh, mm. rock music bands, as, as um, you were saying before, Murray. Um, and... Yes, so it's 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 it, it's that weird mix of taking some traditional folk music and turning it into this seventies version. But some of them were original songs by the uh, Paul Giovanni. Um, I'm the only one I'm very confident was definitely not an original folk song. Was the funk music that was for the chase <laughs> in the cave, which <laughs> was yeah, I have to admit was totally out of step with the film. Yeah, that that. That really was strange. Yeah. Um, that was... That, that, that felt like a product of the fact it was 1973. That sounded like it should have been in Shaft. Yeah, yeah. it was... But, but I, I totally um, get what you're saying, Christy. I think it's... I think this film just tries a lot of things. Yeah. And I think a lot of them work. For, for me, at least, mm. I'm, I, I feel like a lot of them hit their mark. Um, but, the, but there are some know. There yeah. are some misses. I, I will I could be. That. I could be cruel but i don't want to because no, i'm no. within arm's reach no, no um do it he, he won't get you i promise it's all good <laughs> i could say that like there are some experimental aspects of this that they they play with um like the including of the full songs where they yeah. suddenly they have uh monologued voiceover of, of an aware character which just sort of pops into it which is of course the lord um or like the scene where he is, uh, how he is researching in the library and he's suddenly like, oh, I'm just going to explain the next 20 minutes to the audience so they don't get lost in this crazy um, cavorting of, of a parade. Mm. Those elements, or when they cut suddenly into um, those ritualistic dances and moves where they're not directly contrasting them against the character's reactions and, and, and understanding of that. Like when you don't see him react, you it's at that point it is, con it's, it's uh, confronting the audience, not the character. So it doesn't, I, I can probably help you here a little bit with that too, maybe in that um, 
if I'm not wrong, Robin Hardy, who directed this, I think was a first-time director. I would say that. It feels, and that's what I think, I think a lot of it is right. It is there. Like, a lot of it is perfect. Like, towards the end when he's, you know, running through the town, he's searching, every shot for shot's perfect. But then you do have a few aspects which literally feel like a bit of a mockumentary. They've just shot down the pub with the guys on a Friday evening. Um, and then they've just crammed it together into a film. Um, so you tell me which which might well yeah, be which, which Christy might well be why the film was so heavily cut. Yeah, um, because I mean, <laughs> um, look, I, once again, I'm sorry, I haven't come into this having done a great deal of research on a film I really love, but this is one of one of those films where there was a lot of argument about what Final Cut was going to be, and it would be, I think it would because um, they're so expensive. Oh, I mean, the the, the the producers of this film hated it mm. <laughs> like it basically finished and they went that's it he doesn't get rescued and they were like we can't sell this like they they freaked out like th- they were they they were demanding yeah. reshoots yeah. and they I, were think, demand- I think it was seized and recut without yeah. his permission he was essentially fired from the film see i love knowing that because you're right then that makes that makes sense and it does feel like a director exploring a vision and a story for the first time and experimenting with a medium mm. um and i can i can really appreciate that cuz damn i mean i was about to say we've all been there but i mean i mean i've definitely been well, there you, you work in film yeah. you, you have been in that situation I, you do and your first and second films are very much like okay that shot doesn't fit and you only really realize that like 10 years later mm. um so yeah yeah i mean you'd be looking at this and going what a beautiful disaster but other elements of it work so well um like as i said um just some beautiful shots in there. Not just the soft focus, slow-mo shots of the women. Mm. Um, they were very well shot. They though. were nice. Some beautiful hairstyles and some incredible outfits in this film. Mm. Oh, I won't get into hair and makeup. We'll be here forever. The um, crane shots at the end. Yeah. With the, 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 the entire... I mean, just the shot. Oh, the final shot yeah, of the head shot. succumbing to the flames and falling down and the sunset oh, being yeah. there. It's just amazing because that's actually that's just fluke timing probably it, but, yeah. I, I have a feeling that they would have set that up going this yep. thing's going to collapse we have to make sure we film it and then focus in on the sun and because that's going to be our credits and goodness me does it work i think that's probably where they coined the shot money shot you know mm. like if you mm. mess that up it's not you can't really do a retake for that one um we should probably talk a little bit about how you said they shot that wicker man at the end but just mm. really briefly i just want to talk a little bit about some of the cinematography um I did do a couple of shout-outs and exclamations during this film um, because obviously this, this film was shot on film um, on a very heavy camera and they have some fantastic shots. Like there's a literally a shot in a boat and you appreciate that that was shot with a film camera. So there's probably a couple of film guys standing there trying to fit into a boat holding a camera. Love that. Um, also the one with the camera and the rigging. Um, there's a lot of handheld shots. And I even saw some Dutch tilts. Mm. This is the 70s. I saw Dutch tilts in mm. this. Um, I'm impressed. Yeah, um, it's, it, it's it worked. highly impressive. It worked. Yeah, and, you know, some some films from this time period, particularly films, like this was a half a million dollar film, um, which is not a massive budget. It's not small, but it's not a massive budget. And sometimes you see films from particularly pre, I'd say, 1975, where there's a bit more of an acceptance of ah that shot's a bit wonky but it's okay like um 
you know, trying something. I have a library of those here, Stephen. You certainly do, yes. Um, no, it's not a wall. It's just a wall, it's yes. not just a library. Um, but this film, it doesn't feel like there are any shots in there that felt poorly done, out of focus. I mean, sometimes the colour was a bit washed out, but um, I, I feel I, like that was that's more That's probably a... more to do with the elements that were available. Yeah, or, or even think. more of a yeah. creative choice. I'll think, be very interested yeah. to see there is a new... Uh, as I as I told you, there's a new um, cut of this, or not cut, but a new um, printing of this being done by a local distributor called Imprint um, via Vision. Uh, so, guys, that will be available in uh, JB Hi-Fi in about the next two to three months, I imagine. Mm. Um, it's going to cost a lot. It's going to be about 80 or 90 bucks because it's a deluxe set, but it probably be the best the film's ever looked. Mm. Are they recalibrating it or something? I don't like, know. Up, upscaling yeah, it? I or? don't know off the top of my... It'll, it's just a Blu-ray release, so it's the same as what we've just watched. So Blu-ray is, what, 1080p? Yeah, but no, it'll probably be a 4K scan. Um, but, yeah. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked into it oh, greatly. We could talk about that. Question, before mm. I forget, I'm so sorry. Can you please explain the egg to me? The egg. The, the woman holding the egg the while breastfeeding. The woman holding... The egg. Well, it was in one of the songs. I, th- I think it's just a fertility thing, isn't it? No, it- I know, but there is no literal reason why a woman would be sitting in a disused church breastfeeding a baby and holding an egg in her other hand well, while maybe, he has a metaphysical Maybe crisis. they had just wired to her in some way, he's on his way, get in there and look freaking weird. It could have been that. Or, alternatively... Okay, I'll take that. It, it's established that, you know, there are a lot of rituals being observed in the, on the island. And we see them, you know, we, we see... I love this shot where um, Howie rubs off some of the rituals that are being taught in the school on the board to write down Rowan's name. And then we see the practice of the frog in the throat to take the the cold away. (laughs) Frog in your throat. So the idea of like that lady with a relatively newborn looking child, that child was only a couple of months old, um, and breastfeeding him, the idea of like holding an egg and eggs being tied with, you know, fertility. And these people are all about fertility, be it fruit or be it themselves. And it's... it, maybe it is something where it's like this is just what you do when you breastfeed. We didn't see anyone else breastfeeding mm. on the island. It may just be a practice. There are a that lot of did. pregnant people. We did, and it was. But but also, I think the most realistic reason for it being there is because it looked weird and was a good thing to have while Howie was having his metaphysical crisis. And I don't necessarily think all the tableaus in this film work. Um, mm. okay. and I'm not sure it's important that they do. It's to push the idea or the continued narrative that this guy is a fish out of water. Mm. He does not know how to react to this. And he reacts in the only way that he knows possible, which is to um, cleanse and uh, restore to some form of the Christian altar. image mm. um, the, the, the what he's confronted with. So in that particular scene, we move from that to where he clears off the fruit and whatever it is on the on the gravestone and fashions a crude cross because that's his way of sanctifying that particular place mm. from, fish- from what he's seen as, as being a heathen mm. uh, environment. He that's is, my explanation. He is a fish out okay. of water and uh, he needed to go talk. The salmon of knowledge. The salmon guy. The salmon, yes. Yeah, yeah those costumes. Salmon? Weren't those costumes at the end just? Uh, they're just freaky, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's something about there's something about old Halloween costumes in like black and white photos that are pretty spooky. But 
Because they all I, I, yeah. sort of had the, 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 the paper mache masks. They looked like they were something that the villagers had fashioned. Yeah. The fish it, face is going to stay with me. Yeah. Um, I mean, even the, the punch masks, the Punchinello um, mm. character. Now, as, as someone who has played Punch on stage and... Uh, had all sorts of makeup and prosthetics done to make me look like the with the big hook nose and the white coloring. Uh, no, no, I, no way near as terrifying as that. Almost like um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre style mask that he had. Mm, it looked leatherface. It looked grubby mm. and lived in and just awful. Um, and oh, it was just lovely. It was. It's just such. There's clearly a lot of care that was put into that aspect of the film of making it look costumes. Yeah, as as partly grotesque but also like they looked lived in like that mm. even the, the organic horse, it's the, come yeah, from the village the horse costume with the chomping mouth great technique um really good but it looked like that had been worn by like 20 sweaty dudes before and then if you, if you if you look at was. that if you look at that it, it is in fact looks so phallic as well mm. that is a very a very traditional looking prop um i don't i read um Probably one of the reasons I did have a bit of an understanding of this um, was, I mean, not only did I grow up on, on things like Nanny, but um, Susan Cooper's um, Oversea Under Stone series, which is very much rooted in the mythology of um, the Isles and uh, that that sort of tradition. So it did make sense. Um, shouting out, I went back to um, another element, was the names of everyone in the character are plants and... Mm. I just checked that. Even the teacher's name is Miss Rose. Mm. Um, Which I've never picked up on. We Thank had you. Myrtle, Rowan, mm-hmm. um, Daisy. There was a violet in the uh, yep. register. That, yeah, yeah. There was all these like flower names. I mean, Willow, obviously. Willow, yeah. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it's just, it's just beautifully detailed. It's, it's a pretty remarkable film. I would say, yeah. Um, I'm pretty happy. Like, it was really impressive. Would you guys like some trivia about The Wicker Man? Yeah, because I came woefully prepared. <laughs> okay, all of this trivia is sourced from IMDb, so if it's not true, don't it's blame me. It's the Americans' fault. It's the Americans' fault, yes. Um, the Evil Eye Rowing Boat, which Yay. takes Sergeant Howie to and from his plane, was not made for this movie. It belonged to a resident of Plockton, which was a nearby uh, location. Upon seeing it, the producers decided it would suit the movie. The boat survived until 2004 when it was destroyed in a storm. Boo! But uh, they mm. obviously didn't appease the boat gods that year. No. Not enough fair beer being thrown in the exactly. ocean. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, just the Did fact... Did you notice how foamy the waves got when they put the beer in there? Have you never thrown barrels of beer I in I have the ocean? not thrown barrels of beer into water. Again, you had to grow up on the aisles. Ah. We didn't talk about them beheading... Oh, the fake beheading. The fake beheading oh, that please. like literally scared the bejesus out of me. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. So when it happened, I went, I, oh, what? I know, I literally, I, yeah. Mm. I, and that's why I was just like, no, we, but before we get into the trivia, but we the, finish, we, we've got to talk about that. That sets you up because you it think, did. oh, it's all a jape. Yes. It is all a jape. And it, he lets his guard down. Mm. Um, and we let our guard down yeah. as the audience. We got fooled again. Yeah. Oh, they got me. Oh. It is the Brooklyn Nine-Nine Halloween heist of films. You're just constantly getting fooled all the time. Yeah. Um, many years after making this film, Edward Woodward revisited some of the locations and claimed he found the makeshift cross that Howie made out of pieces of wood still intact and where he left it from the original shoot. Mm. Which is both comforting and terrifying. That's incredible. <laughs> 
Uh, the director, Robin Hardy, explained the meaning of the scene with the woman with the egg in her hand. Ah. Oh, thank you. Um, <clears throat> he he said this um, uh, to, to Alan Cumming, um, who was doing a show called Scotland on Screen. According to Hardy, it was taken from a fertility ritual and that this woman was hoping for another baby. So that egg she's holding is, while oh, she is breastfeeding, okay. yes. she's breastfeeding her first child, is her going... I'm demonstrating that I am a good mother because I'm keeping this child alive. Grant me a second. That's what it means. Okay. So, and then if she's got two at the same time, someone will have to hold the egg for her. Uh, For those at home, Christy is not convinced. (laughs) No. No, I'm okay with that. Thank you for explaining that. It passes the folklore check. Excellent. Uh, Yeah, I'll take it. The folklore in order, if you will. Oh. Screenwriter Anthony Schaefer wanted this movie to be a little more literate than the average horror movie. He specifically wanted a movie with a minimum amount of violence and gore. Uh, he was tired of seeing horror movies that rely on yeah. viscera. I don't think you can call this a horror. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a mystery thriller. 100%, Musical. yeah. Like suspense thriller. You were saying, hmm. will we pick the genre? Hmm. And um, no, I, I agree with you 100%. The it's, horror is only horror. in the last five minutes. And it's and some of the outfits. And it's only because you're horrified, <laughs> yeah. really. Uh, so Christopher Lee paid for his own press tour uh, for this film uh, because he was such a big fan of it. Um, he went everywhere that was willing to talk to him about this film. <laughs> According to rumours, farmers in Iowa were surprised to see him on live early morning public access television. So, I mean, Christopher Lee's love for this film is really well known. He, as as Murray said before. This role is one that he considers amongst his best. I kind of have to agree with him. I haven't seen all of the 3,000 movies that he was in in his lifetime, but... Um, it looks great it's, in it's, a cravat and a kilt. And it, it's up there. It, it's got the same energy as Saruman in the first Lord, Fellowship of the Ring, that, that that film, except this guy is worse than Saruman. Like, it's... it's, it's it's oh, yes. just incredible. It, it is an incredible performance, and he just looked like he was having the best time. He honestly looked like he was. Call just that living. a caper. Yes, call that a caper. Oh. Um, filmed in 1972 in Galloway, Scotland, uh, there was some controversy when Britt Eklund labelled it the bleakest place on earth. Mm. <laughs> uh, the producers were forced to apologise to the locals. <laughs> Which harks back to what I was saying about that closing scene with the um, the ladies at the cliff top, yeah. Where apparently they, <laughs> the poor things were absolutely blue with cold. Mm. It's freezing up there. I mean, this was shot in October and November. Uh, and it, they're on cliff And it's tops, meant to be the end the of North summer. Sea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just amazed they got some sun. That's the thing that's really amazing. Um, and you could just tell with. Christopher Lee's hair in that final scene, like because yeah. it's it's it so smooth up. the rest of the film, but when he's up there, it's wild, like he's just been electrocuted. Was that a wig? I feel like it was a, a lace front I wig. I don't think so. I'm not sure. I, I it could be a wig, but honestly, it certainly um, was in the scenes he was dressed yeah. as a woman. But, oh, definitely uh, the long black hair. Mm. That's yes. a giveaway. Yes. Um. Um. The current version uh, available in the US and the UK um, on DVD is still incomplete, uh, despite its director's cut status. Um, still missing is a lengthy speech made by Lord Summer Isle on Apples. Okay. So that may be in this new version. That you well, it depends, discussing. because the trouble is with 
any film made probably prior to the mid-1980s is that the film elements mm. cannot be found or are not, or they've succumbed to vinegar syndrome. Yeah, some, um, some of the negatives were destroyed accidentally. Mm. Um, I know that much, um, which is... Uh, whoops. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, it, it is, it, it'll be interesting to see um, if, if that ever makes its way back in. Rod Stewart was one of a number of people who um, was against this film, uh, but not... Oh, well, that changes my mind entirely. <laughs> yeah, uh, but not for uh, any reason that wasn't selfish. Um, he launched an attempt to block the release of this film when he learnt that his then-girlfriend, Britt Eklund, would be appearing naked in the movie. <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah, Maggie may, but Britt won't. That's Yes, yes. Uh, bad luck. Bad luck there, uh... Yes. Sorry, Roddy. Uh, not, how, not happy to share. However, I'd forgotten that she was one of his long line of blonde um, girlfriends. Mm. Yes. Well, you know, it was the seventies. It makes yeah. sense. You know, she was coming off quite a tempestuous marriage to uh, Peter Sellers. Yes. Oh man, jumping from Peter Sellers to Rod Stewart is yeah, quite the change. It is. Um, Britt Eklund was uh, dubbed in this movie uh, by yeah. Annie Ross, and um, she. Brit this is uh, felt that her Scottish accent wasn't that bad and was a little bit hurt by having to be completely dubbed. Um, she also had a body double for the nude scenes. Now, it is claimed that that body double was Lorraine Peters, who is also seen as the naked woman crying over the grave. Um, Brit Eklund was pregnant with her son at the time while she was filming and agreed to do uh, scenes for the nude scene from the waist up. So all the, the topless, like, walking around, touching the wall, that, that's her. The important bits, Stephen. It, yes. That was you, an incredible scene. It was incredible. And, like, I really appreciate the fact that they had so much of Brit's performance there because when it switches to the shots of the full body from behind with, with the bum wiggling mm. around, mm-hmm. it's actually quite obvious it's not her. There's something about the way that she moves compared to... I can to assure who... you, 14-year-old me did not pick that up at the time, Stephen. <laughs> no, but, you know, you're a disgusting hornbag, mate, yeah, as all teenage okay, boys yes. tend to be. Well, that's true. But what what it was, was the way that Brit moved... The physicality of Brit's performance and what she was communicating through this song and dance was very different from the way that, if it was Lorraine Peters, Lorraine Peters was moving when it was the full body shots. It It felt... It really felt like it was a conversation being had with Through two different wall. voices. Well, okay. having now been able to watch this, where I can actually look at Brit's face um, in that particular scene, um, she is very much you know, a, a very good actress in that, and that she's mm. communicating a lot with her look. Yes. Um, so, because because they wanted these full body shots, um, a, a body double was used for um, the, the full length shots of Willow dancing. Um, they were filmed after Britt Eklund had left set. Um, when shooting was over, Eklund was apparently furious to learn that she had been doubled in these shots. Uh, but director Robin Hardy has said Eklund um, did not want her bottom to be filmed. Um, as she did not like it, apparently. Uh, to this day, whenever Britt Eklund is approached by fans for autographs uh, from with pictures from the full nude scene, she refuses because she points out, it's not my butt, <laughs> which I think is a really nice touch. Can we just talk about his amazing acting in that scene? Oh, Who, Edward, Edward Woodward. Edward Woodward. Yeah. Edward Woodward. Yes. I mean, Edward Woodward is 
like the, the just he's not only the glue that holds this film together like he's he's the two bits of wood they've put together that the glue is holding he's he's a rock he's almost everything in this i like film. that i like it thank you Stephen. yeah he's Sensational. He's, um, wood, wood, yes. Okay. Yes, Ed um, Wood is the... <laughs> but, no, you, you, that, that's what I'm saying. He has the complete truth of character throughout this performance. You kept saying that, yeah. And and, and the, the thing with that seduction scene is it would be so easy to go over the top and go, oh, my God, oh, I'm being seduced. This is... Oh, oh, so you didn't feel I? it was over the top. I mean, there was a lot of clawing no, at the wall. I mean, I've... I didn't because... You you're so invested in his truth. You can see, you can almost view in his eyes and the sweat that's pouring down his brow, the the the, the way that he feels he is being drawn towards this temptation. Sort of a supernatural drawing. Mm. And, and I just think it's a beautiful piece of acting. And it fits like he's very quick to anger, very quick to expressing his disgust. So it makes sense, I think, even when he is alone, that he is expressing that disgust, even though there's only him there to witness it. He feels like someone who lives very fully. Like, he's, he he clearly has a hard time repressing any emotion that he has. Mm-hmm. So the idea of him being tempted in this way, in this way that he believes is evil. You know, he says he's been saving himself for marriage. Um, that, that sort of thing. And, you know, the, the idea of, like, I think the idea of him having thoughts of wanting to sleep with Willow and knowing that that goes against his like moral principles, he's so conflicted at that time. Yeah, he's betraying himself. That yeah, it makes sense that he's like banging on the wall and being like, "No," like this whole kind of thing, even though he essentially just wants to shag, basically. Yeah. But but it's, it's, it would be a betrayal of his identity if he gave in. Christy, I think the only fair way of actually testing how good the acting performance is is if this whole thing was refilmed today with the greatest living uh, method actor uh, on Earth, Jared Leto, and we see what Jared brings to the screen as opposed to what Edward's done up there. Oh, I thought you were going to say Nicolas Cage because uh, oh. good news. Even better, we could have a three-way with, with Nicolas Cage. Yes, that's um, true. Now I've not seen it, and I know that you've not seen it, Murray. I'm, I'm, I'm. No, hang on. I, I want to, I want to get off Nicolas Cage, yeah. if you pardon uh, the expression, and get back to um, uh, Christy. So, your thoughts on that performance? Mm. It was one of those scenes that sort of. You're just progressing with the story and then he's like, I'm going to bed. And then all of a sudden you cut to a musical sequence, which is very shot like you would a musical. She's singing to the camera with a lot. Um, and you've got the, the music coming from downstairs, I, I think. And then you you spend a lot of time with her and then you cut into his room. I mm. think it would have made more sense if we'd had a bit more set up from his side of the room first. And I only really got what was going on towards the end mm. um that's that's really interesting because as a four, sure. as a 14 year old i got it immediately mm. it's like it's the siren's call i wasn't sure she was even singing to him like for a second there like i thought she was still with a other boy um oh, he'd yeah. come back yeah. i didn't realize like i feel like we needed to establish that she was trying to seduce him more mm. i'm wondering if this is one of those as a male, 
I interpret this this way, and as a female, you interpret this that way. I because I've I've always seen it as being a seduction scene. I think it's entirely possible, but I also I'm... think it's it's. I mean, look, we could sit down a hundred people that identify as men and a hundred people that identify as women, and I'm sure we would get some cross section going. I don't see it as being seductive, or I do see it as being seductive, but it. it no, could, I'm not. I'm, yeah. I'm 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 saying that Christie's interpretation of this is completely valid. I'd just never seen it that way. Yeah, and I think there are other ways you could have done to illustrate that sort of struggle and it was towards the end with the um the wall sequence when he's on one side and she's on the other that then i really got that you know it's through this wall there's this sort of seductive or supernatural pull etc and then he's he's having his internal battle and his his his, uh quite well it's a faith crisis crisis of faith um and then he decides to just no and he goes to bed um i would have expected it like a little bit more like in the movies you would have had like him praying and kneeling and crying and we don't we get that at the end yay um and i think the problem was because she was looking at the camera i I I think that is literally the shot is because she starts off looking and singing to the audience and then all of a sudden it's pointed at him and i didn't get that i think what it is is I've approached this with the same naivety that I did as a 14-year-old and I've never lost it. Mm. I also think it's interesting that that sequence well, starts... Well, I mean, they were good-looking breasts. No, it's, but, it's not just that. It's mm. just the, the the fact that the naivety of just not sort of looking too much at the nuance, just looking at, at, at the scene and just going, oh, yeah, I can see what's going on here and I buy that mm. as a as I say, a naive 14-year-old and I initially saw it and that I have never lost focus on that through okay. repeated viewings. Yeah, right. I also think one of the interesting things is is this sequence starts with um, with Willow in the bed and she's reclining. I'm on a couch, so I'm just going to recline back. And she's banging her knuckles against the wall and that wall they establish through the subsequent shots is the wall to officer howie's bedroom and so she's banging on the wall but it could be that she's trying to get his attention which is how i interpreted it but it could also be her just setting the tempo of the song that she's singing it was i thought it was musical instrument because then you're right she she then looks at the audience she doesn't look at the wall and be like come here big boy or whatever Mm. like it's very much it's a mixture of the two and i think that confusion is but the other thing too is the lyrics of the song um are very explicit so it's come see me say how do now we know what mm. say how do means mm. um so it, it's combining that imagery with the uh, knocking on the wall and hey come over big boy yeah um no yeah. i really think that i think it to make that scene work there kind of actually needed to be less emphasis on the music and more emphasis on the characters okay yeah. um but it could also but obviously, be. Obviously, I mean, it's one of those pinnacle scenes of the film. So please don't. don't no, come not, for me. no, not at all. Uh, not at all. But um, I mean, I got there in the end. So. Yeah. Once, once again, as I say, it it it's possibly the naivety of me having initially watched that as someone quite young, and it could also be the naivety of the filmmaking at the time I was, as well. Yeah, I was about to say yeah. the director. I mean, mm. when you literally have that, like. It is a very natural place to want to put the camera, especially if you're right, you can't shoot her from below the waist. 
um, and you are trying to literally set her up as her come hither, so you you've got her all but open y- y- with a big. You you do eyes. have a point in that they've already established that, mm. haven't they? Mm. In the film already, they've already established the fact that she is breaking the virginity of young men in the village. Mm. With the earlier scene. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like we should have started with him and then crossed into that space with her. Yeah. Um, I also just found it incredibly amusing how he goes to sleep and then literally she walks (laughs) straight in. Like, she's like, oh, I called you to come to me last night. That was very awkward. Locked the door. Yeah. And he's there all sweaty and bare chested and she's like perfectly made up. And she's like, oh, you didn't come see me. And and he's like, well, the door was open, woman. Like, you know. Um, according to the legendary horror icon, Ingrid Pitt, the weather was so cold when they shot the final scene uh-huh. that Edward would used to warm his uh, bare feet between her knees. She would comfort him by saying, don't worry, they're going to burn you in a minute. Oh, <laughs> too soon? Uh, yeah, well, definitely too soon. He wasn't on fire. Um, not happy with the finished film, British Lion managing director Michael Dealey sent a print of The Wicker Man ah, to... Michael Dealey, yes, just before context. we go on, yes. Michael Dealey, for context, is also the producer who was most unhappy with the original cut of Blade Runner. Ah. Please continue. Okie dokie. Uh, good to know. Dealey sent a print of The Wicker Man to the uh, movie legend Roger Corman in America. Uh, Corman made some vague uh, suggestions for cuts and then instructed Eric Boyd Perkins to cut around 12 minutes from the film, enabling Dealey to release it as a support feature with Nick Roeg's Don't Look Now. Oh, Uh, God. Although some have alleged that The Wicker Man was cut to Corman's instructions, it was in fact Boyd Perkins who figured out how to restructure the movie, shortening Howie's stay in Summer Isle from two nights to one and losing much incidental dialogue, which made Christopher Lee, quote... Extremely cross, end quote. Well, it would literally take the narrative out of the film. Mm. Yes. So, um, yeah, Dealey was, was not, not a happy chappy about um, the way this film looked. And, and the version that we have watched and the version that is most readily available is much closer to the original cut, the director's intention of what the film <laughs> should look like. But, um, yeah, the producer, not so keen. This is so hard with us not having seen the second one. Mm. I feel like... I feel limited in, in, in being able to say whether or not this had successfully made the right sort of impact without being able to compare it to it, the second it, it, one. The, I have seen, obviously I've seen the original because the the only version available in the early 80s on the Sunday Night Horrors, which I watched, um, this for the first time, was the original theatrical release. Uh, and it still left an impression on me. Mm. Um, so, yeah, look... You can argue about it and banter about it and so on, but essentially the guts of it was there. It's how much more you want. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Robin Hardy later wrote and directed a spiritual sequel to this film called The Wicker Tree, which mm. was released Never in seen 2011. It. Christopher Lee uh, was his original choice for the lead role, but because of an injury that Lee had suffered during the production of The Resident, he was unable to accept but took a smaller bit part as a character listed simply as Old Man. There is continuing debate as to whether or not he is intended to be Lord Summer Isle in this uh, spiritual sequel. Oh, so. I bet like, that's the sort of one where it's like, I'll be there in my wheelchair. Yeah. Give me give me two days. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, on his days off, Edward Woodward was uh, repeatedly asked if he wanted to go to the spot where the climax was to be shot to see the Wicker Man being built. He declined every time, preferring to see it for the first time when the scene was shot. So, when Woodward saw the structure for the first time as Howie was being dragged over the top of the hill, the cries of, Oh God! Oh Jesus Christ! was half Howie and half Woodward. When the cameras moved around uh, to film the burning scene, Woodward asked director Robin Hardy if he was actually going to be put in The Wicker Man, to which Hardy said, yes. As he was carried up the steps to the structure's midsection by Ian Campbell, who plays Oak, uh, Woodward repeatedly told Campbell, don't you drop me, don't you dare drop me, (laughs) which uh, Campbell uh, laughed and said that he wouldn't. Uh, when the burning scene happened, Woodward repeatedly said uh, that in his entire career of six decades, he was never more scared than when he was inside the Wicker Man as it burned, telling the British film critic Mark Kermode in an interview that his terror forced him to act his socks off. So, yes, uh, Woodward was actually inside there uh, when they set some of it on fire. The animals weren't. Uh, Robin Hardy was very clear. All the shots of the animals were done before they set anything on fire. Um, so the only person or being in danger was Edward Woodward. Um, the that was actual... just an incredible scene. Yeah. It's it's just wonderful. Um, the actual Wicker Man was constructed and later burnt at Burrowhead, Scotland. The stumps remained at the location of the shoot for three decades um, and were a landmark <laughs> for the movie's fans, who were then outraged when the stumps were cut down and stolen in 2006 by someone in a four-wheel drive. Oh. We don't know who. We don't know where they've gone. <laughs> They'll be on eBay mm. at some point. Uh, the company's advertising executives were appalled by the movie's ending and wanted uh, the screenwriter and director to reshoot the scene, uh, suggesting a sudden rainstorm which would douse the flames and save Howie's life. Oh, yes. God showing that he picks that mm. specific man. Understandably, uh, they refused. <laughs> How disappointing would that have been? It's raining in Scotland. Who could have foreseen this? It must be God. Yeah, that sets up a perfect sequel. Mm, yes. So, all that remains oh, is for us to score the film. Hey, Christy, it was your first time watching <laughs> The Wicker Man. What score would you give it? It might be your last time. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um... No, it got me. It got me. And I think it's a film that will carry anyone along with the narrative. I'm very happy to give it eight and a half burning wicker men in a field. Well, thank you, Christy. Okay, Murray, what about yourself? This was the one you picked, after all. Well, Stephen, I mean, what am I to do? It's it's one of my top ten favourite films of all time. It ranks pretty highly in that top ten as well. Um uh, given that you had probably stolen my first three or four choices through picking the wrong people to do um, the, uh, the the broadcast for those, um, but this film's resonated with me for four de- decades now. I, I think I first saw this about 1982, um, and I have just stuck with it ever since. I am fascinated every time I watch this film. I get something from this new every time I watch this film. Mm. I don't think you can ask much more of a cinematic experience than that. Um, so, look, I, I can't give it less than, than a, a full ten dancing virgins potentially 
burning themselves alive, jumping over open flames. Mm. I, um, I, I'm really surprised by how much I liked this film. I, I remember watching it again as, as a teenager and going, "Oh, that ending! Yeah, a bit like Planet of the Apes. It's, it's the, you know, the ending is a real, really stays with you. Um, but so much so that I'd forgotten." all of the non-nudity bits that came with the with the rest of the film it's um, astonishing there's narrative Stephen. Uh, yes but the narrative is really good it's really well told it's mm-hmm. it's incredibly well shot and it's a remarkable film it's it's <laughs> and i dread to think how disappointing it must be seeing the nicholas cage version but after watching this um not specifically because there's an issue with nicholas cage but just how do you remake that film yeah, exactly. It's 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 incredible. It's it's so good. Um, which is why I have to give it. I'm going to give it nine and a half salmons of knowledge out of ten. <laughs> it is. It is not necessarily a horror film. I think actually, we watched um, Lake Mungo a couple of months ago, which was sort of the first film I think I've ever seen, which I would describe as a dread film instead of a horror film. This film the wicker man has i don't even know quite how to term it but the sense of being a fly on a spider's web or a mouse as he hears the trap click that's that's what this film is and it's incredible um that, that it achieves that and strings you along and and plus it's it's a musical it's it's mm. so strange uh it's it's wonderful. Though. Sarah Cordes's new favourite film, Stephen. Oh yes, yes. No, I look forward to the dystopian science fiction uh, version of the Wicker Man that she makes. It'll be <laughs> I will fantastic. totally watch that. Yeah, just a big cyber Wicker Man that like incinerates you inside uh, its chest. Okay, maybe not. Okay. Don't watch Ooh, it, Sarah. That's basically equilibrium. Um, <laughs> no, but no, definitely, guys, check this out because just the feeling inside at the end of this film, and then you just sort of have to stop. And process, yes, he did just burn to death. Yes, they did just watch him. Yes, that is the end of the film. Yes. But do go into it with a sense of knowing that this was made in the 70s -hmm. of its time. Mm -hmm. There are things in there that you might view as problematical. That's understandable. It's unfortunate that that is something of 1970s cinema. And we can't ignore that and we can't get rid of that. But it does not mean it's not a fantastic bloody film. Indeed. Uh, so that brings us to the end of this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Uh, happy 25th episode, Murray. Happy 25th. Thank you. It was great, Stephen. I really, really enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, it must must be nice uh, knowing that the film's going to be good <laughs> as opposed to risking it with the other 24. Well, not necessarily, Stephen. Each of them has had their joys in their own way. What, um, was, what was the joy of The Wizard of Oz? The, the joy of The Wizard of Oz was seeing the closing credits mm. and knowing that I never have to watch it again, Stephen. Indeed. Um, no, that's been cruel. It, once again, it's of its time and it's, it is what it is. It's mm. The great thing about film is that there's not necessarily um, something in every film that you will enjoy but sometimes it's just the experience of having watched it that's that's the great thing and I find that with a lot of my films because God knows I have so many terrible ones sitting on my shelf mm. um, and you know I will enjoy and 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 absorb each and every one of them at some stage 
Um, but no, it's been a blessed journey. Thank you, Stephen. Um, and I, I, I would love to do another 25. Well, we look forward to Cannibal Holocaust for your 50th, yes, I'm indeed. sure. Yes, uh, indeed. And uh, Christy, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Cinema Cantrip Club. I hope you're not too traumatised. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. And for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening in. Uh, this was Murray's 25th episode. It was our, does the maths, 261st. Oh. Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, we recently worked out uh, that there's more than 11 days of straight audio of movie reviews. If you want to hear what it's like to be trapped with me in a lift for almost two weeks, just listen from episode one. <laughs> uh, if you want to go back and listen to our catalogue, you don't have to listen to all of them. But you might want to go back and go, oh, have they done Blade Runner? Yes, we have. Was Murray on it? No, he wasn't. It's a damn shame, Stephen. Uh, but you can go back and listen to reviews of films like Blade Runner, like Lake Mungo, like The Wizard of Oz. All of them are available. Uh, just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club on uh, whatever your podcast provider is. Uh, we're also available to be found on Facebook. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club in the Facebook search bar. You can join the page by liking it and you'll get news and updates, voting in polls, all that sort of thing. We recently had a vote for... Um, uh, our favourite musicals. Um, so we have uh, a winner, or should I say, winners? Was it was it the was it the Wicker Man? Uh, no, the Wicker Man, funnily enough, wasn't in there. Uh, but if Damn. you if you want to know what musicals were selected uh, for us to review, you'll just have to go to our Facebook page to find the announcement, or wait for them to turn up in your podcast feed. And finally, we have a Patreon. Uh, uh, for the fruits of our podcast to grow, we must have money, or I have to sacrifice one guest by burning them inside a giant cinema. Bag's not it. <laughs> oh, Christie's bag's not it. Okay. Oh, the, done. The, the other 40 are all... Oh, looks like I'm not doing 50. Uh, sorry, Murray. Um, if you could just climb up there while that goat wheeze on you, that'd Hang be... Hang on, Ellen's over there, Stephen. Uh, she's, she's... Who do you think is Lord Cinema Isle? That's... that's... <laughs> <laughs> She's currently dressing as Christopher Lee and uh, running around with swords. Uh, yes, um, if you want to become a member of our patron, we promise we don't actually sacrifice people. But just to be safe, a dollar a month. It's all we ask uh, to make the movie gods smile upon us. That is all for this week. So until next time, goodbye. Telly-ho. Arrivederci. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.